Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Nick Castell. I'm a reporter with IdeaStream. Today is January 14th, 2021, and you are listening to and watching a virtual City Club forum. In July, Cuyahoga County Council voted to declare racism a public health crisis. That puts the county in the company of cities like Cleveland, Akron, Dayton, and many others across the country that have voted to recognize a link between well-being and the effects of discrimination and segregation. Here in Cuyahoga County, the task of turning this idea into a plan falls in part on the shoulders of the county's newly appointed Citizens Advisory Council on Equity. In July, we talked with Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish and three of the council's 17 members about their plans to identify, address, and dismantle systemic racism and inequity in Cuyahoga County. Last week, the council released its first semi-annual status report on areas of concern. Now, today we'll talk about uh, we'll talk with four members of this council on their recommendations for improvement in four categories: criminal justice, health and healthcare, economic opportunity, and equitable quality of life. So I'd like to introduce our panelists now. Joining us today are Stephen Cavanis. He's the Director of Project Management at Team NEO and Chair of the Council's Economic Opportunity Subcommittee. Habiba Grimes is the CEO of the Positive Education Program and a member of the Council's Economic Opportunity Subcommittee. Dr. Heidi Gullett is Medical Director of the Cuyahoga County Board of Health and Chair of the Council's Health and Healthcare Subcommittee. And Eddie Taylor Jr. is President of Taylor Oswald and Chair of the Citizens Advisory Council on Equity. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you for all who are tuning in for this virtual forum. As in every City Club forum, you are welcome to participate, and we hope that you will. You can text your questions to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the discussion. So I'd like to get started here. And um, Eddie Taylor, I'd like to put the first question to you. Um, would you be able to start us off here by giving us an example of uh, something that you think the county is not doing right now uh, that it could be doing? Well, there, there are a number of things that, that the county has challenged not only our council with, but an internal process as well to determine just what you described. There are things that we know can be done differently. Uh, uh, principally, there is a universal call for training, which is consistent across not only um, the span of control that the county executive has, but those who might do business with or have other relationships with the county. So training is one of those things. And we've heard an abundance uh, of, of conversations around this subject, but we know how critically important it is. So I would start there, but there are a series of other things that I believe uh, should be uh, and will be called out as we make our way through this conversation. The other thing I would say, Nick, and you're right to indicate that 17 of us are part of this council. We are in so many ways an external view of the work that the county is doing around uh, elim the elimination of structural racism. There is an internal component to this as well uh, that is driven by uh, individuals who work within the county. So the hope is to your question, things we can be doing differently, the county can do differently, is that we marry uh, the work not only of our council, but this commission 
that is internal to Cuyahoga County so that we get the very best in outcomes as we go through this process. But uh, the members of the, the council will talk about recommendations, things to do differently or better. Uh, and I'll end by saying a whole series of activities and efforts were just undertaken by the county executive through uh, executive orders. We could talk through those as well, but work is in process as it turns out, um, not only as a result of this effort, but efforts that started uh, previously. Uh, now, uh, Habiba Grimes, uh, one of the recommendations that we've heard uh, repeated throughout the report is that uh, county employees and employees of other uh, countywide agencies like the Board of Health or the uh, Addiction Mental Health uh, and uh, Drug Addiction Treatment Board, that uh, they should be doing training, diversity, equity, and inclusion training with uh, employees. Could you explain for us, uh, what do you think that kind of training uh, can and should accomplish uh, with, with the people who work for the various county uh, departments and agencies? I think that kind of training should first um, expose individuals to the realities of racism, um, how racism is has manifested uh, across the centuries here in our country and in our region. It should focus on the current and modern day manifestations of racism and really lay that out really directly for the participants. I think there's also an important element of uh, implicit bias training and just understanding how the human brain works, why we notice differences, how those differences um, impact our brain biology and how we might respond to those differences in human um, being kind of phenotype, how we how we present to other human beings. Um, and then also talk about and explore how biases are conditioned uh, so that we have certain perspectives that are conditioned through, through um, the way in which uh, black and brown people are depicted in media images, um, uh, popular culture and so on, so that we have a deeper understanding for how we are internalizing stereotypes and um, negative uh, beliefs about individuals. I think that training should also really deeply explore anti-Black racism and push back on the notion um, of, of post-racial society, which I think we are probably all past that uh, supposition at this point, I would hope. But anti-Black racism exp explicitly uh, showing up in our society and, uh, and, and in our culture. And participants in any kind of training should have an opportunity to give voice to their experiences within an institution, within the organization, within the wider society so that those um, individuals have a chance to understand one another as individuals and, and as people that they are likely in relationship to through their professional uh, and work days, that they would have a deeper understanding for how our lived experience is impacted by uh, racism in all its forms. Now, how do you think, um, Habiba, that that kind of training uh, among employees how does that affect ultimately the the daily lives of people who are uh, you know rely on county services or who uh, you know work with the county in some way? You know, I'll offer, and I will say, I'm no expert in mm -hmm. DEI work. Sure. Um, work of diversity, equity, and inclusion requires informed, well-trained expert professionals. Um, and so there are individuals in our community that we should be tapping, we should be tapping their knowledge and plugging them in to the Cuyahoga County government and other institutions that are their partners so that they have that 
deep knowledge around what it is we need to do so that we can make society a more just and equitable place and our institutions more just and equitable. Um, but that said, I think coming out of this kind of training, we would hope that that each of our, we would have higher, greater empathy. I'll just say that if we could have greater empathy for one another and those we serve, that's a huge um, um, accomplishment. A lack of empathy creates barriers between individuals and it's our relationships to others, our connections and our interconnectedness as human beings that buffer us from all the different kinds of stressors that present here on this planet and in this country. Here in this country, we have unique uh, experiences of trauma and adversity and oppression related to systemic and structural racism. And it's our interpersonal relationships that, that continue to, to hold those barriers uh, in place. Uh, our lack of empathy for the suffering of other people that helps to hold those barriers in place. So I would start with greater empathy. Mm -hmm. Stephen Cavanis, another recommendation of this, uh, of your initial report here, is that there should be more diversity in senior level county positions. Uh, how do you think the county can accomplish that? Yeah, thanks, Nick, for the question. Um, I think building, kind of building on what Habiba shared, I think that, you know, it, it's about being open. It's about um, building stronger relations in the community. Uh, it's about uh, understanding uh, uh, other folks' environment. It's about listening. It's about understanding the barriers that actually exist. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not an easy answer, but I think, you know, just the, the openness, uh, you know, just listening to others uh, so we understand that there's real barriers, uh, also perceived barriers as well. Um, and so, you know, I think that this process, uh, for me at least, has shed some light on some opportunities uh, as we've sort of been lockstep with county leadership and uh, ways we can improve um, accessibility, I think, to getting into the county as an employee, uh, but also the process um, it takes to uh, demonstrate performance uh, and then have access to upward mobility in, in the system. So it sounds like you're saying uh, it, some of it starts with not just diversity in senior leadership, but from the people who might be starting their careers in the county at some lower level position. Correct. Well, uh, Dr. Heidi Gullett, I want to turn to you here. Uh, I, I think uh, many of us in the news are maybe more familiar with your work uh, at the Board of Health on the front lines of dealing with COVID-19. Um, have you seen, a, you know, a racially disparate impact in how the coronavirus has affected people here in Northeast Ohio? And, and, and what's that been like? Yeah, thank you so much for the question, Nick. Um, we did address this in our report uh, a little bit, wanting to really show a contemporary example of how a very long history of racism in our community and across the country has impacted people in a, a novel virus that's happening now. So uh, our team at the Board of Health has been tracking racial and race and ethnicity data around uh, COVID-19 from the very beginning. And we have seen um, an increased uh, risk for folks who identify as um, Black or as Latino. And we do know that, um, that not only is it just an increased risk of infection, but it's also an increased risk of hospitalization. 
And that is a, a real um, reflection uh, in real time of what we've just been hearing my colleagues talk about, which is that this isn't about race, this is about racism. And we need to start addressing that. And there are clear issues that are in, in the system and structures around us that we find ourselves in. But there are also issues of the way that we interact with one another, as you heard Habiba and, and Stephen talk about. There are ways in which implicit bias finds itself in medical care. Um, in, in, in care that you receive out in the community, but also in the system uh, of health, public health and in, in healthcare. So for us, um, making those data transparent to the community are really important. And those data I just described to you represent the suburban Cuyahoga County community. Um, our partners in the city of Cleveland uh, release their own data. Um, they work really hard to make sure those data are also transparent. So if you put those data together, um, you, there's clearly an impact, disproportionate impact on our uh, citizens and neighbors of color through the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's, that's unjust and something that we need to continue to address. And I know that the, the report, especially the section on health and healthcare, uh, one of the suggestions is that you wanna have uh, more data from different agencies sharing their information. Could you give us a sense of, you know, what do you want to know about our health as a community that you feel like you don't know right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, having spent the last uh, six years immersed in the data that are available from a public health perspective, in order for us to put out community health assessments and community health improvement plans, which include the entire county, including our colleagues at the city of Cleveland, we do these reports together. What we find is that we are limited in the data that we have to describe the health of our population. We're limited by publicly available public health data, things like life expectancy and infant mortality. Those are critically important measures. They sort of, we use them as proxy measures of the health of the whole community. But what we're missing are also those other more population health metrics that happen inside hospital systems. We have lots of amazing medical care in this community, but the data that happens within the healthcare system is not readily available to public health. And so it's important that we all have the same data so that we can understand what is the situation now? And, and then what are we doing to improve things? If you don't have data to measure where you are now, you will not know you've made improvement. And health is inextricably linked to all of the other pieces that you see in our report, jobs, economic opportunity in, in other forms, uh, quality of life. So we really, in criminal justice system, so we really have to, to bring the data together to, to tell a story that accurately reflects our community and then identifies the solution so that equity is something realized by everyone here. Mm -hmm. Eddie Taylor, um, you know, I, I know that another part of this uh, of your work is is interviewing people who are involved in this kind of work in the county and in the community, talking with them about their experience, what they're doing in their departments. Um, and I know you've talked with a lot of people who are, you know, department heads, civic and nonprofit leaders. Is there anything that you're doing to make sure you also hear from people who really are not connected or plugged into those kinds of communities and who may not even know an organization like this one exists? Yeah, that's a great point. We talked to and interviewed, as you described, dozens of county personnel. And, and from a leadership standpoint, of course, it starts at the top. And one of our first interviews to level set things and to get just a, a broad understanding was with the county executive himself, Armand Budish, as a part of this process. And then we, we went throughout the county for um, further discussions, heads of departments as described, and then those who do 
uh, who work with the county in a variety of capacities. But one of the more important approaches we took to this work, in, in my view, was work we did in collaboration with the Cleveland Foundation and a process called Common Ground, which was to invite the entire community into the discussions. We had over 200 individuals over a three-day period uh, who joined us in discussing not only their firsthand experiences with racism, uh, so many of them offered what they thought were viable solutions to, to dealing with issues, but as much as anything else, that community conversation allowed us in so many ways to frame much of what we are reporting on in this first version of a semi-annual report to the community, as you described. But we can't stop there, right? This whole effort is iterative. We have to grow upon uh, what we've already done. Uh, so we will continue those conversations. As a matter of fact, over the coming weeks, we will once again invite the community not only to read, review, and in some ways, well, always judge what they see on paper from us in terms of this first report. Tell us where we may have missed the mark. Help us better define and align the goals that we should all have together, which is to eliminate, as we've all talked about in some form or another, structural racism in our community. So uh, the the key to all of this is not just what we believe as the 17 members of CASE or this internal to Cuyahoga County Commission, it's what the community feels and believes and how they impart their own understanding into this whole effort. Mm -hmm. um, I want to turn a little bit of this discussion to criminal justice because that was also a big part of, of what you uh, as, as a group looked at. Um, Stephen, um, you know, one of the issues that was highlighted by the, the subcommittee on criminal justice was that bond and sentencing decisions are in the hands of individual judges. It's at their discretion, effectively, how to set bonds and, and you know, make sentence uh, decisions. Do you think that kind of thing uh, should change and there should be some other kind of way of, of dealing with that issue? Certainly. Um, you know, I'll just share that, you know, I, I was not part of the committee. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this work is a very, has a lot of in intersectionality. So, you know, we all uh, took part in a lot of these conversations uh, with officials. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of uh, elements to criminal justice that needs to change. Uh, obviously, we know that it's, uh, it's very contentious. Um, you know, I, I think that there needs to be a bit more empathy in where folks are coming from. I mean, we understand that there's clear uh, disparity when it comes to how communities are disinvested in, and um, you know the resources or the lack of resources rather to folks uh, when it comes to uh, you know having counsel. And so I think it goes beyond beyond the judges and the sentencing, but it also uh, uh, overflows into the folks that are actually uh, working with them in the system. Uh, every day, right? Uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, different coordinators and things like that. And so I think it goes back to the training as well and empathy, uh, but also recognizing that uh, the offenses are different too. Um, you know, how do we separate, you know, nonviolent offenders from violent offenders and uh, recognizing that there's, you know, mental health uh, challenges that some folks experience and it, it might not, it, you know, they don't really need to intermingle with some other uh, offenders in the system. So, you know, uh, you know, thinking about the diversion center, right, and how you can leverage the diversion center to uh, create more of a treatment element to it. So 
I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but I certainly think that there's beyond just the judges, there, there's a lot of uh, things that need to change in the system. Yeah, and, and the point of the diversion center is a good one because this this is uh, you know one of the big things that the county is is committed to to doing as as part of a strategy for you know making sure people are going to some kind of treatment rather than to jail. Um, Habiba, is there is there something that you really want to watch as far as the diversion center goes to to know that it's it's being successful and is doing what what people hope it would do. You know, I look to the children um, and how youth are impacted by mm -hmm. changes of, of systemic level. And so are we interrupting the disruption of caregiver relationships to kids or are we supporting caregivers who are, are needing care in the diversion center to stay connected with their family, for their family to have any supports that they need? When an individual within a family system is struggling with mental health or addiction issues that results in police contact, there's a lot of uh, intermingling impacts for the family. Um, do they live in a community where they are getting a nuisance uh, charge because their family member, their loved one is struggling and, and has had police contact? And is the care that that individual getting actually helping to heal the family? I also am very curious to see how the Diversion Center will support young people with issues uh, around mental health challenges and addiction. And is there a place for them in that the vision of that work? Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Gullett, uh, you know, from a public health perspective, I mean, do you think the county could be doing more to, uh, you know, address people who have mental health issues that may be, you know, connected to whatever, you know, trouble they get into with the legal system? Absolutely. So we all know that, um, as you've heard time and time again today, that the interconnectedness of these issues, but also the interconnectedness of us as individuals. Our shared humanity has to really be at the center of this. And we have to understand that we've got to come to folks, meet them where they're at and recognize that there are unmet needs. There's um, unaddressed trauma. There um, is a, a very unfortunate legacy of compounded traumas, particularly for um, people in um, our community people of color who've experienced racism their entire lives. And we see that play out in a lot of health outcomes. But we know that uh, mental health and addiction, behavioral health issues are um, not always addressed the way they need to be. And sometimes that leads to an interface with the criminal justice system and people may or may not get the care they need at that point once that's happened. And so prevention is really, really important. And, and I think you see in our report, there are many places where we aim at prevention, but it's not just about physical health. It's also about mental health and making sure that the whole family is cared for, as you heard Habiba talk about. Uh, we talked with our colleagues at the Adams Board and we detailed some of the recommendations that we had from those interviews. Um, they've already made a declaration of racism as a public health um, issue and have internal working groups among um, the agency that are addressing inequities in the mental health and substance abuse realm. But our hope is that that would also lead to um, collaboration among other agencies as well. So um, there's a lot of work ahead, but we do see bright spots and we see people who are leading these efforts around mental health and substance abuse and, and the way it interfaces with criminal justice. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Eddie Taylor, is there, um, 
Is there a place that you want to head next with this group? I mean, are there issues that you are hoping to tackle in the coming days and weeks or people that you hope to hear from as you as you get into sort of the next, uh, you know, the next six months of your work here? Yeah, there are several, but I, I would start by saying there are also some takeaways that I'd, I'd love for uh, the listeners to, to uh, have as we go to the next part of this conversation. First is uh, we've talked so much about training and the good news is because we are being actively listened to not only by the county executive, but the county council, the county executive has issued or will, has approved the issuance of an RFP to deal with the training for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's an important step in this process. What do we want from that? We wanna make certain that Cuyahoga County as an employer becomes a great place to work. And it's great for all individuals who work there, no matter their, their skin tone. So that's an important one because if, if it's a great place to work, we believe that good which is produced will emanate uh, throughout the community in terms of folks they interact with. The second thing we want is to make sure that from a customer service standpoint, we'll, we'll say that those who interact with, do business with the county, find themselves being treated fairly, equally, and equitably in the discussions. And then I, I would say, finally, for us, uh, that next step, that next place we want to go is to, once again, make certain that if there are folks who have any interest in this subject at all, uh, that they reach out not only to the, the council, but go to the website for these purposes, because we're listening. We have to listen. That is our charge in this process. What we do about it, of course, depends upon all of us. But the next place to go is to make sure that we get as many voices into this discussion as possible. Well, speaking of getting more voices into the discussion and listening, uh, we would love to hear from uh, all of you who are joining us uh, virtually for this discussion today. If you have a question, uh, feel free to text it to 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your comments or questions at the City Club. That's at the City Club on Twitter. Um, another part of this uh, this initial report uh, dealt with. Um, uh, economic development, economic opportunities, and uh, Stephen, I think um, one of the one of the prime takeaways uh, from this was uh, trying to have more equity in the procurement process, in the contractors who work with the county, whether that's construction or professional services, et cetera. Uh, why is that issue important uh, uh, to to the work that the county does? Well, I, I certainly think, well, I guess I want to level set in terms of mm -hmm. uh, our, our report. I think that, sure. you know, during the discovery phase, we recognize that, you know, the county's not starting from square one. Uh, there's mm -hmm. certain data that sort of justifies uh, these, these recommendations, but there's also opportunities for other um, activities, right, to address equity. And, and if you want to read the rest of the report, you can, but specifically around procurement, which uh, it goes back to the data around that, right? Um, you know, there was a disparity study that was released late last year. Um, that's kind of a follow-on uh, to mm -hmm. a previous study. And it was clear that there was disparity, right? We know that there's a market out there for contractors. We're just not hitting the mark, right? And so um, there's some el other elements to this that, um, you know, understanding that the county uh, is not as can can't be as flexible sometimes depending on where the source of uh, the 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 resources are coming for for contracts. But you know 
there's certainly efforts, um, and I believe the county executive signed some uh, executive orders recently to address uh, four mm -hmm. of the recommendations from that report. But, you know, I think that, you know, for me, uh, if you think about uh, how relationships, uh, how these contracts with public entities have propelled uh, these organizations uh, to be able to access maybe private sector opportunities, right? I think, you know, through our conversations, oftentimes, you know, this is a starting uh, a starting place for some smaller um, contractors, right, to get into bigger uh, get into bigger opportunities. So I think that uh, it, it almost is like um, uh, uh, what word am I looking for? An incubator, you know, you know. So you know, maybe. We, we use this as an incubator to support contractors as they're looking to grow. So I think that uh, addressing equity challenges uh, can can get us to a point where we can incubate some of these businesses and they actually can grow and then build some wealth. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Habiba, on uh, another part of this uh, report, quality of life, um, looked at a variety of issues. Uh, you know, one of them was housing. I know that the, the county is a couple years into a new housing plan trying to, uh, you know, focus more on the rehabilitation of, of properties rather than, you know, demolition of blighted structures. Um, is there is there something that you think the county ought to focus on as it's as it's trying to apply this housing development plan in an equitable way? What do you think are the real needs out there? Um, I would say that there's a need for um, there to be attention to neighborhoods and communities that have been um, left behind or left out of some of the revitalization efforts that have already um, taken place in, in the county and in the region, um, attending to our most um, neglected communities and neighborhoods it feels essential. Uh, to actually uplifting a sense of hope within those communities that this this effort of addressing racism and addressing inequities and in, in, in outcomes and in well-being um, and in quality of life is actually going to impact their lives, their day-to-day -day lives. So attending to those communities of neglect feels really essential. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, attending in what ways do you think? Uh, I would say to to attend to uh, the 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 infrastructure uh, the 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 infrastructure of the communities that have not had uh, that kind of attention uh, mm -hmm. over these years, attending to the properties and the the, the um, safety of those properties, addressing any kind of toxins and and lead uh, exposure risks that exist within the infrastructures within a community, um, attending to public areas so that they are accessible, that they are desirable places for community members to spend time and, and to um, and interact with, with one another as community members. Um, green spaces that can be built out and developed further um, into plots for growing or, or a recreation are all ways that uh, the, the county can look to address those quality of life uh, of life indicators uh, that our subcommittee has has pointed out. Mm -hmm. And again, if you would like to join our conversation, you can text your questions to 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club and we'll incorporate them into the discussion here. 
Uh, we do have a, a one question that came in that I'd like to put to um, to Eddie. Um, the, the questioner says, while I appreciate the thought and leadership of the council, when will we see action plans and the implementation of change? How do you get from the conversation and the report phase to making sure uh, things actually change within within the way the county does business? No, that's a great question. Uh, and to the point that Habiba just made a moment ago, we know that there's a disproportionality from a housing standpoint with respect to those households that are black that have more lead and as a result of lead poisoning. We know that there's a disproportionality in health and health care in terms of not only um, our rates of uh, infant mortality, we know that there are other issues which affect us, which we have all talked about, we believe are, are structural. Uh, so the important question is how do we go from all these statistics, all the data that we've collected to this point, all the great conversations we've had to things that are actionable and produce uh, the right outcomes, the outcomes that we should all be, uh, that we should all hope for. Well, this is, and I hate to sound like it's a, a punt, but this is certainly a process. I think great first steps uh, are around the training that we spoke of. Uh, also a great first step includes uh, the executive orders that the uh, county executive uh, has issued. The county council has made this in so many ways a priority. So what we're doing now is taking the small, and I acknowledge that in some ways they're incremental, but the small steps to address what has been a structural, generational, long-lasting, persistent set of problems. We can't boil it all overnight. We get that but these steps are important. Now, to the question, I think what you should seek from us over the course of time is not only a report that tells you what still ails us and where the county might still need improvement, to also a report that includes what's been accomplished. What are the results that we are seeing from not only our study, our interviews, our efforts, the, the executive orders, but what is actually being accomplished? So if we can't measure in some ways what the results have been, then this process will not be very fulfilling, not only to us, but to anyone at this point. So, so we have to get there because it is the right question. What are we doing and how can we get there? And importantly, how quickly can we get there? Mm -hmm. Knowing that, of course, not everything can be done uh, instantaneously. And I'm pulling these executive orders up on my phone. Maybe we can get back to those in a second here. Um, uh, Dr. Gullett, we did get a question in here saying, uh, what is being done or, or recommended to be done uh, to expand access to quality health care for black and brown communities? How's, how's the Board of Health handling that? So one of the essential functions of public health, both at the local, state, and actually at the federal level, is to ensure that people have access to individual health services. So typically you think of a health department as handling the health of the population or the community. And I think you've certainly seen what that looks like for, for this community through COVID-19, making sure that there's access to testing and, and population data is available around who is being disproportionately impacted by COVID and other illnesses. But one of the other things is the assurance that we can link people to trusted, high quality, unbiased care. And I think it's the, the real goal here is that we're able to bring everyone together. We have a lot of competitors in a, in a very crowded healthcare marketplace in this community. We're fortunate to have incredible medical care, but that has not shown um, a, a reflection in uh, 
all of the inequitable health outcomes that we see in our community, disparate life expectancy for people of color, looking at infant mortality, you heard Eddie talk about earlier. So part of that is, is ensuring that we're linking people to care, but we can't do that as a, as a county case, right? We're an external body recommending mm -hmm. things to county government. We have to ensure that what can be impacted by the county is. So people seeking coverage through interaction with job and family services, ensuring that they're getting um, humanistic care and they're feeling valued when they interact with county government. But if you look at the next phase of what the subcommittee around health and healthcare are doing, it's meeting with the leaders, the CEOs of our health systems and ensuring that they too are on board and that declaring structural racism a public health crisis as much a responsibility shared responsibility for our healthcare institutions in this community as it is for for county government and for other agencies that are a part of our community so we have work to do for sure but there certainly are leaders in our health systems that recognize both the importance of linking people to individualized services where they don't experience racism when they come in for care, but that also recognize the structural changes that need to happen in the healthcare system and um, that the responsibility is among all of us to address that. Would you be able to define for people who may not be familiar with that term, uh, seeing racism as a public health crisis, what exactly does that mean? What, where is the public health element Yes, yeah, so there's been a lot of discourse about this nationally, about, about is it a public health crisis or is it a crisis of, of some other description? It's a crisis, bottom line, and it impacts all sorts of, of parts of life. And the lived experience you heard Habiba talk about earlier for people of color in this country and in our community um, has to be recognized. And for those who... Um, those folks like me who are white, who, who don't live with the impact of racism, who don't experience that, it's incumbent upon us to understand how to confront our own privilege and, and recognize that history that you heard Habiba talk about that's part of training. So it's not just a, a matter of understanding your own biases and implicit bias, but also the history that comes along with how people of color have uh, experienced oppression in our communities for um, hundreds of years. And as part of that, um, we really have to recognize that population health metrics are one really obvious reflection of how racism has impacted people of color. And so there was a national movement to declare racism as a public health crisis because we can see across communities all over the nation how public health data show the impact of racism. And so there are um, hundreds of communities that have now declared racism a public health crisis, but it's not a, a crisis exclusive to public health. It's just <laughs> a way that we're able to demonstrate the impacts of racism and how interconnected all of the things we're talking about today are to health. But it's not it's not just specific to health. And I want I want to make that clear. <laughs> and again, and if again, you've got. Questions, questions for any of our panelists, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your questions at the City Club, and we will incorporate them into the discussion. Uh, Stephen, a question for you here. Um, we, we received a question saying, you know, this preliminary report identifies this issue of, of silos. There being many different county departments that are all focused on their work, not necessarily always communicating with each other in a full way. How do you think the county ought to break through that to 
connect these issues of economics or quality of life or uh, criminal justice? I wish I could say it was uh, more difficult than communicate. Um, it's just, I mean, and communication is difficult, right? And so I guess the question is for, for me, you know, as we go through this, continue through this process, how do we, um, you know, streamline communication across departments? How do we, um, you know, and, and maybe this is an example, just be more intentional about various things. Um, you know, during this process, I found that there was um, uh, a process in which uh, there, there was a, a, a contract that was or RFP that was issued to do various work on uh, county facilities. And so uh, that process ultimately included various departments. And uh, from my understanding, that's something that uh, often does not happen. And so um you know you really have to be intentional about this work um you know going back to uh just equity issues in general it's very overwhelming there's a lot of intersectionality in it and me being on the economic opportunities committee one of the four recommendations uh was really uh, actually it wasn't a recommendation it was really look just focusing right we have these four recommendations but let's focus let's focus on the procurement let's focus on knowing that there's a clear disparity when we know there's a market let's focus on getting the outreach let's focus on um getting some forecasting in place so people have good lead time to actually apply for these opportunities. And then let's focus on the data side, knowing that we've actually made an impact against those disparities that we clearly know exists. So uh, again, going it, it's as simple as communicating, uh, you know, being more intentional about the work uh, and keeping it front, keeping equity in the front and not as a afterthought, right? Knowing that it exists is different than taking action and saying we're going to lead with it and i think it's leading with equity mm -hmm. um another question here uh habiba i might ask you to to jump in on this um what role would you like to see arts and culture the arts and culture ecosystem uh, both large and small institutions uh, help to fight systemic racism in cleveland what what is there what role could there be for arts and culture groups Oh, thank you for directing this question to me because I, I find that arts and culture is an excellent place for us to lift up the beauty and power and resilience of black and brown people who have endured systemic racism and, and all the impacts of it. Um, it's a beautiful place for us to find their, their our gifts and their strengths and their true talents that exist uh, within individuals who have been um, suffering a great deal across generations. I see arts and culture organizations having key roles to play in partnering with the education system, with the health and human services uh, system, um, with the criminal justice system to be a resource for individuals who are served within those systems. Um, certainly the mental health system, uh, there is healing power in arts um, and in our cultural experiences. Rooting ourselves in culture can help to drive our healing and our well-being 
participating in arts uh, activities and experiences can help to heal us. Um, we have some work to do so that our arts and culture um, environments feel accessible and, and, and are places where, where Black and Brown people can find belonging. We absolutely have some challenges there that are historical. Um, and I would look to some of the smaller institutions that inspire me uh, for their example, their involvement and their leadership within those larger and more um, well-resourced institutions to help inform about how we create environments of belonging uh, that really elevate the gifts and, and beauty of people who have suffered. What are some of those institutions or organizations that have inspired you? Uh, so there are a few that I'll, I'll name um, because I, I just adore their work. Uh, Shooting Without Bullets is one of them. Uh, uh, Peel Them Layers Back, uh, Archie Green's organization. Um, uh, uh, Art of Me, uh, which uh, took on the work of Scenarios USA for those who know that work. Um, I'm so impressed with the work that's happening at the Cleveland International Film Festival. Um, they are lifting up issues of racial equity and justice through the form of uh, film art. Uh, Greater Cleveland uh, 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 Film Festival, um, Urban Film Festival uh, is another. Um, Gosh, I could I could surely go on, uh, but I don't want to spend too much time thinking on this. But those are those are all institutions that inspire me. Um, uh, a gentleman, distinguished gentleman of the spoken word, is another beautiful, beautiful organization doing beautiful, powerful work uh, with young people. Mm -hmm. Like just about everything this this year and last year, you know, COVID nineteen is kind of hanging over all of it. And uh, Heidi, we have a question here uh, about the uh, the vaccine rollout. Uh, how can we ensure that uh, systemic racism does not impede the efforts for uh, effective COVID-19 vaccination throughout the community? That's a critically important question. I really appreciate um, that question today specifically. Um, so it has been the commitment of the Board of Health since the very beginning of the pandemic to ensure equity, that we are leading with equity in every part of the response, as you heard uh, Stephen talk about so eloquently a few minutes ago. And early on, that looked like ensuring there was testing available for uh, communities of color in places where people could access it. And um, when there was limited testing, it was incredibly difficult. And so uh, our partnership with Metro Health has been um, really helpful in making sure we're able to take testing into locations where people could access it. But that was just the beginning of the pandemic that has continued. But we always knew the vaccine was going to be a huge phase where we really had to understand how we were going to use equity to drive the plans around the vaccine uh, distribution. So currently there is a lot more demand than there is supply. So it's really important that the decisions about um, how groups are prioritized in 1A and soon and next week into 1B have equity at the center of them. And at the local level, it's important and incumbent upon leaders making those decisions that we understand the impact in communities of color and we ensure the vaccination is getting to the uh, communities and the populations most um, impacted. So that's certainly ongoing discussions. In fact, this morning I had four different meetings about vaccine distribution, which included discussions of equity. And I have one more after this today, just to give you an idea of, of different groups coming together and trying to ensure that this is being driven in a way that truly recognizes the disproportionate and unjust impact of racism on communities of color that's being played out by COVID-19. But I would also be remiss if I didn't talk about issues of trust. 
And in our most recent community health improvement plan uh, for Cuyahoga County released last year, you saw that one of our two overarching um, priorities, one was addressing structural racism and eliminating it. And the second was um, uh, enhancing trust and trustworthiness. And that is really important when it comes to vaccine because there are really important historical reasons for why particularly communities of color do not trust medical institutions, medical research, and new advances such as the vaccine. And so it's been really important for, for all of us to do a lot of listening, like Eddie talked about earlier, specifically with regard to the vaccine and understanding why people don't trust it, what they're thinking about it, and how we can use trusted members in the community who want to be ambassadors of the truth and transparency to reach communities um, with this really important preventive measure. This is a real marvel of science, but if people aren't comfortable with it being injected into their arms and helping them build immunity, it's worth nothing. Um, so these are all really important pieces. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before uh, having equity at the center of your plans for, for the vaccine rollout. Could you just explain briefly, what, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to, to make that a, a focal point? Yeah, so first and foremost, First and foremost, it means actually collecting data on who is receiving the vaccine. So not just the name and the zip code where someone lives, but actually race and ethnicity data, where they fall into the, the 1A, 1B categories, things like that, the things we have to report to the state. We're not required to collect and report race and ethnicity data, but if we don't collect that, we will not be able to understand who is being vaccinated and who is, is not being accessed uh, the way they need to, who's not having the access they need to. The second thing, though, is really it's important to understand um, where the vaccine um, is being distributed and how people can get there. Places like transportation issues, right? The fa fairgrounds might reach people who have a car and who can drive there. And we've had we vaccinated over a thousand people there yesterday. But if you live somewhere else in the county and you don't have a car or you're not comfortable on public transportation given the levels of infection right now, which is a very real issue, or you have to take two hours of a bus to get there, that's not reaching you, right? So it's also being very careful about geography and making sure that not only do people have their questions answered, I don't ever want anyone to feel coerced or forced into a vaccine. I want them to feel they have the information they need to make a choice about it for themselves and their families. That's part of it, but part of it is also, the equity approach is, is partly communication and, and that piece, but also making sure that it's geographically where it needs to be. And that's a big part of what our team has been doing in collaboration with our partners at the City of Cleveland Department of Public Health. And again, if you'd like to join our conversation, you can text your questions to 330541 Five seven nine four. That's three three zero five four one five seven nine four. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and we'll work them into this discussion. And uh, I do have a question that just came in, actually. So I guess I, you know, I shook the tree, and and we got something here. Um, this question says: Is an all community segments approach being developed to address the social determinants of health? Since this can't just be solved only by medical institutions. Um, Eddie, maybe I can put this question to you or, or someone else can jump in if they'd like to. Uh, how do you make sure that you are addressing, uh, you know, as you say, that this is a, uh, an issue that involves so many different sectors of our society or of the county government? How do you make sure that they're all working together and we're looking at the, at the big picture? Yeah, I, I would certainly love for my colleagues to jump in as well, but I'll start by saying, no, it can't just be health uh, in terms of how we solve this issue. Earlier, the question around what is a public health crisis 
um, it was again the right question, but but we can't take it. Health is an aspect of it, and we should take that aspect literally. But the public health of the community is how we live, how we travel, how we interact, and all these things that go to not only quality of life but opportunities that are created beyond just our individual health and health care. There is a community health that is at stake as well. So yes, to the question, we have to go beyond looking at this from simply a health and healthcare standpoint. And that is, again, I know we're gonna be a little repetitive at this point, but that's why, again, we need to have voices who, who think about this slightly differently uh, than from a health and healthcare angle to make sure that they are included in these conversations. It's been wonderful to hear Habiba and others talk about how our young people are affected by this. And that's not necessarily always a health issue. These are issues that go to uh, how they grow up, how they live and how they make a difference in our communities uh, beyond their early years. And that's again, not necessarily health. We have uh, an older population, again, not necessarily driven by health who want opportunities. We have businesses that want opportunities to grow in advance. So um, we have to make certain that all voices, all perspectives and any vantage point you might have, which is something other than health and healthcare, is incorporated into um, not only the findings, uh, but also those things we seek to achieve as results. But I, I imagine others, um, and I don't know how you're going to do it, Nick, but others might have a perspective on this as well. Sure, Habiba, let me go to you here. Um, you know, how do you think you can integrate all these different, uh, you know, these different ideas here of, of criminal justice or economic development, et cetera, uh, and have a kind of a holistic approach to, to dealing with issues of equity? You know, I think we've got, uh, as, as uh, Chair Taylor has said, we have such a diverse group of people on this advisory council bringing different perspectives. And I think those perspectives are all essential to trying to design um, a set of recommendations and, and opportunities for change that are comprehensive and robust. Um, and I think too, like each of us in the institutions where we serve and lead, the places where we're, we're giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, uh, really being intentional that those are organizations that are deploying uh, race conscious efforts, um, equity informed, um, policy and, 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 and practice and change. And I think we do this um, work uh, bit by bit um, in our own places and spaces. Um, and then the work of the council really lifting up how the, the, the whole system, the entire community can affect change in these uh, different areas uh, that, that feels important, that this, the work of this council bringing each of the different vantage points and perspectives uh, to a willing county government. Uh, we have a county government that is invested in promoting um, change and, and equity for black and brown citizens. And while we have that will, uh, within that system, they'll, they'll grow this, the skill to, to do more um, and we'll bring our perspectives to them for how that might be uh, implemented. Uh, I'm gonna throw this next question to you too because it's a topic you've touched on before. Um, you know, what, what kinds of discussions or plans are, are in the works for, for working with young people to improve you know, the quality of life of youth, their, their health or economic opportunities? How do you involve uh, you know, the voices of, of young people in this discussion? Uh, we've had some conversation about this um, in the communication subcommittee of the advisory council. We want to be very intentional 
we want to do some outreach that engages uh, youth development organizations, um, schools, so that we go where young people are in this moment, be it virtually or in person, and we hear from them, that we ask them some of the questions that we've asked the, the community around how racism is impacting them in their day-to-day -day lives and things that they will hope to see change. I think it's, it's important that we do that with, with very um, um, clear intention and plan in ways that tap the resources that exist within the community and those folks who are already engaged with kids, helping them to facilitate these conversations as well. Mm -hmm. Well, in the few minutes that we have uh, remaining in this conversation, I wanna look a little bit to the future. Stephen, as you're thinking about the next few weeks or months of, of your work here, is there you know one big issue that you're hoping to focus on and, and where you can you know make a plan for, for what the county ought to do? It's a very good question. Um, I, I mean, certainly moving forward with those executive orders, taking actions there. Um, you know, I, I think this might not answer your question. I think sure. it, it, it's not about the, you know, for me, you know, this, this work, uh, we have to take ownership of this work. I mean, I joined this council because I was passionate about these issues and recognize that there's folks that feel like they don't have a voice, right? And I could serve and we could serve as that voice in making a change. And so I don't know if it's as easy as saying that there's one thing, but you know, maybe the one thing is just the recognition that this is a community effort. And so while I'm one person, I think that this process and moving forward is going to require, you know, other folks uh, in the community, county leadership, to take ownership of these challenges that we uh, are experiencing in our community and uh, reflect, right? Do self-reflection, recognize that um, these issues actually exist, right? Uh, and and listen, right? And so. It doesn't answer your question, but I certainly think, and it's not one thing, it's a whole lot of things, but um, it, yeah, so, sorry. No, that's fine. And Heidi, I think we'll be closing out with you here. Um, I wanted to get your input on this, on this question about having an all community segments approach to dealing with these social determinants of health, the, you know, factors in people's lives that might have some sort of impact on their health. How do you look at you know all those other sort of external factors uh, that go beyond just what a medical institution can do? Yeah, so I, I see patients um, and have done so in this community for uh, for a decade, and um, most of the time when people come into my office uh, or I see them in the hospital, the things that are affecting them the most are not the things I was trained to do. They're the social determinants of health, the things that need addressed. Um, in order for someone to have an opportunity to be healthy. And so I think it's really important as we move forward that we think about the bigger context here. And, and our case has been doing that. Our colleagues at the county um, who we interviewed have been thinking in, in this bigger picture frame. But this is a system in which we all find ourselves in. And you've, you've heard us talk about intersectionality and interdependence. It's a complex system, but there are pieces in the system that need to be changed. This system was designed the way it is. And it was designed for inequity. And that's 
unacceptable and we have to change that. And so for us, taking a systems view of these social determinants of health and what that means for us is drilling down and listening and mapping out in real time people's lived experience of a broken system and how it impacts their children and their family. And then listening for the places where solutions and leverage points can really change the way that people experience life and that everyone here has an opportunity to thrive and everyone here has an opportunity to reach their full potential. And until we can do that, our work is not done. But I think we're on the way to do that. And taking a systems approach really allows all of these sectors that can address the social determinants of health and the things that really impact people's lives the most in really profound ways. And, and that's really what we're here to do. So we look forward to partnership moving forward with lots of different people and hearing people's experience and then learning from them about how we can make things better here. Well, I wanna thank you for that answer and, and thank you all for uh, joining us for this conversation. Thank you to those who are following us online right now and for, for submitting some questions. Uh, we've been hearing from Stephen Cavanis, Habiba Grimes, Dr. Heidi Gullett and Eddie Taylor Jr. Thank you very much for being part of this conversation. I know it's it's certainly not over and there's plenty more issues to, to talk about in the, uh, the weeks and months to come. City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District and PNC, as well as the many generous corporate and individual members who support their mission. You can join them in supporting their work when you make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. Thanks again for being part of this conversation. I'm Nick Castell, and our forum is adjourned. <laughs>